everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another creator-owned spotlight. We're going to talk about another campaign that's currently live on Zoop. Uh, I have the uh, writer and creator of Remember, Andy Xenon, joining me today. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the show, Tom Pinchuk. Tom, thanks for joining me. My pleasure to be here. Yeah, uh, got a chance to read the story. Found it very interesting. A lot of ideas going on and certainly leaves the door open for a lot more. So let's start off with uh, telling our listeners kind of what the story is all about here. Well, it's about a a boy adventurer who suddenly loses powers at 18, um, no explanations, and he has to grow up real fast and learn what it's like to be a normal guy. And our story actually starts with um, a journalist has tracked him down for a real soul-searching interview, and he gets to reflect on his old life and his adventures and maybe get the answer to the question, what went wrong? Yeah, it's so interesting. So many times I talk to creators, and it's all about the journey, right? Like, what's the evolution of the character? What's the character arc? Uh, You're taking that to the next level and and really going on the nose here. Uh, You mentioned it yourself when you were – uh, kind of summing up the book, uh, he has to grow up real fast. Um, it's so interesting because I, I think sometimes that we 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 read these stories about these these people and they have these powers and they they just can handle it. Uh, yeah, that's not really that realistic when you stop and think about it, right? No, I mean I think everything's got a learning curve. Um, I think life has its ups and downs too. Um, and you know I'm always fascinated with. Um, you know, with superheroes, like they have these decades long careers um, and, you know, in, in kind of the fiction of the, the story, and you rarely kind of see them in their down periods. Like it's almost always up. Um, and that was something that I was intrigued with. It was, well, what's, uh, you know, what happens to someone who sort of falls in, you know, between the cracks? Um, you know, I, I, I should mention, too, actually, like a, a big inspiration for this was that uh, I I've, uh, write for animation as well as comics. Um, I wrote for uh, three seasons of Ben 10, um, and I've also worked on other like big uh, kid hero franchises like Max Steel. Um, and, you know, the inspiration for this was really um, I ran into a lot of fans for whom those characters had been iconic. Um, it's an interesting, you know, life's always moving forward. There's, you know, there's different generations kind of responding to different generations of heroes. So, um, it was an odd experience to be working on, um, you know, on the other side of the curtain, so to speak, um, on a, you know, uh, charting adventures of these, uh, these heroes where, um, they weren't characters that I'd grown up with, say like, you know, Spider-Man or the X-Men, um, but I met a generation of viewers that they were very iconic with, that they felt like they'd grown up with. I mean, uh, Ben 10 has been around about like 15 years at this point. Um, and I specifically had worked on reboots of the characters. Um, you know, the idea being that these are really more the target audience is kids. And, um, you know, Ben, uh, he had aged up in the series Um kind of aged with the target audience and then they got to a point where they're like well we got to get back he's a kid show he's got to be a kid again um and it was interesting it just was a it really struck me because i ran into some uh you know young adult fans um some were like even working professionals in animation who um they always like you know put the previsos like your episodes are great tom but let me tell you about the about these reboots um you know and, and i could see like sort of a frustration out of the notion of like they like they'd aged out of you know, something that had been so near and dear to them. 
And it really, it was, it just kind of, that was the bug that got my imagination rolling. And I was thinking like, you know, what would it be from the perspective of, you know, this type of character to age out too, right? You know, you've, if you've, if you've been replaced, if there's been, you know, people have moved on to um, other heroes that are sort of, um, you know, just younger versions of you, or, you know, they're doing their own thing. So, you know, that, that was, uh, it just, it, that was the spark of it. Um, and it just kind of got me thinking like, well, that was, you know, I, I, again, I've, I've had like different, you know, I think everybody's got like ups and downs in their careers. Like, I mean, the, the thing that I, I think about a lot was um, when I was starting out, I actually had like a seasonal retail job at uh, this is years and years ago, but I had a seasonal retail job at Toys R Us. And <laughs> I, I was, I was, you know, in talks with um, a show about potentially writing for them while I was selling their toys. You know, I'd be like, <laughs> You know, I would I would be at like the checkout line and, you know, the parents would come up and they'd have the boxes of action figures that their kids had asked for. And it would always be on the tip of my tongue where I wanted to say, like, well, you know, <laughs> and it's like then you then you realize like they don't know and they don't care and yeah. there's no frame of context here. So it was just a very, you know, that was something that I, 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 I there is a scene kind of similar to that, too, because I was trying to make this very kind of personable and relatable to people where I, it's just that notion of being so close and yet so far. Right. You know, you've um, so like in Andy's case, it's like he's had this, um, you know, globetrotting adventures. He's 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 gotten to do really live um, an exciting life and then he can see the evidence of it. But then there's nothing connecting to him uh, to that after he loses you know, the, uh, his powers, like the, the, the energy runs out of his uh his gadget and he doesn't have any explanations and he also realizes they can't there's nowhere to find them um I, I just found that that was a very striking image that i just it that was kind of where i started it was just somebody working um you know being there and you know he's, he's just a normal guy and they sometimes people recognize him but they don't believe that he's he is who he says he is or sometimes that he maybe tells it to some uh like co-workers or or friends and they don't they think he's crazy like he says, I used to be Andy Xenon and this is what happened in my life. And they're like, oh, come on, like, you, you know, you're joking, right? Uh, it is so relatable, like you said. Um, and certainly as Andy goes through these, you know, this situation, having lost his powers, and then, you know, we won't, we won't spoil how it ends for everybody because we want you to go and read it for yourself. But the relatability comes in i think not only i mean not that any of us have ever had superpowers but you know you're talking about your own sort of experiences that you're you're putting in the book but the other part of it comes from the fact that when andy still had the powers and was sort of on top of the world nobody could sort of tell him anything and i i think that is is so relatable oh. um and it happens to all of us in life right like there's that idea that you can only learn a lesson through like or or correct a mistake through making the mistake. You can tell yeah. somebody who you can see them heading down the same path, heading toward the same brick wall that you ran into. And you can tell them till you're blue in the face. Hey, I was in the same situation and, and every, you know, I, I did it when I was a kid. Right. You know, oh, well, my situation is different. That's not going to happen to me. Right. Um, that is that, that like permeates the, the first half of the book. And I think it is, is so relatable that that had to be purposeful for you to, to kind of explore that. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody reflects on if I if I'd only known now what I uh, sorry if I only knew then what I know now. Right. Um, I think it's just that's it's inescapable. Um, you know, wish. Um, I I think even the other end of it too that I found 
that I maybe was like the added nuance that I wanted to capture with the story too, is that, um, you know, I have like a, a older siblings. Um, they're like 10 and 13 years older. And I even found from them that sometimes like I would be taking notes and sort of saying like, oh, well, you know, here's, here are some of the lessons you learned growing up. And I tried to anticipate them or even you tried to work around them. And it's like, it's almost, you know, it, it kind of makes me think of some of those Greek tragedies where it's like, you know, you get the prophecy and like, no matter how much you try to work around it, you try to defy it, you try to anticipate and work around it, you're going to have to learn the hard way. Right. You know, like, is and there have been a lot of times where I, I think what's even maybe worse than that sometimes is, is not even just that, oh, I was warned about this before I, you know, I, I, I is that I heeded that warning and it's still, you know, it's still kind of manifested in, in its own way. Um, yeah. And, and that was something that absolutely, it's a, it's a coming of age story. Um, it's something that I, I think everybody, you know, everybody grows up. So everybody, you know, relates to it. I was trying to think of something very universal. Um, for the concepts, um, you know, and I, and I think that also what I what I would want to stress and also again, like not with spoiling it, what I tell people is like, you know, the beginning or the end's only the beginning um, mm -hmm. with the story, because I, I think there's some really good twists and turns that um, are better if they're coming by surprise um, for people. Um, but, you know, I, I think sometimes that uh, there's always a good way to look at it where it's like I've, I've made mistakes or I learned. You know, that's and I, I think sometimes that um, if I had like a theme that I maybe wanted to get across with the story, you know, without getting too, um, you know, uh, high and mighty about it. But it's like I think sometimes people kind of write themselves off a little too early. You know, it's like you made one mistake and you sort of just that's that. And it's like there's still room to learn from that. And there's still maybe room to uh, apply what you've learned. Um, and I think that'll be the you know, people will find that that's the case with Andy. Yeah, it is very much a, a beginning, as you said, because like I, I said at the top here, uh, it could lead to so much more. I, I want to read more adventures of, of Andy Zenon because it does feel like this is just the beginning. He, he's learned a big lesson, um, but well, you know, where does he take that? Where does it go from there? Um, and you did, you did also mention that uh, you know, at this moment in his life, he's, he's reflecting back. He's talking to a, a reporter. What made you decide to go with that story structure to, to kind of, you know, set now, let's say present time, mm -hmm. but you know, he's, he's, you could have easily just done, he could have been, you know, sitting in his room reflecting, could have done a flashback that way. What made you go with this sort of um, story structure, this uh, Andy kind of retelling in his own words rather than just reflecting back? That's a really great question. Um, actually, there was a lot of thought about how we were going to present um, his story and, you know, what order we were going to tell it in. Um, if I could take a step back from it, um, one of the inspirations from this was uh, I really was trying to think, um, I'd had like a show in development at Cartoon Network. I sold a show to Cartoon Network and it was a casualty of the Warner Brothers merger. Mm. Um, and it was something that was like a years long process. And, you know, you're having to get it approved by all these different departments and getting people to sign off on it. And it's just, it's just, you know, legal negotiations, all that stuff that was fairly recently that that got canceled. And it's like, you know, it's like if a tree falls in the woods, you know, you're really like, you've done a lot of good work. It's been a whole professional process. You know, you've had good experiences with people. And then because of, you know, the powers that be, you know, bigger movements, it's just no one gets to see it. Right. And after that, I, you know, I'd worked, it'd been a couple of years since I worked in comics and I was just really missing the immediacy of it. You know, I don't, I, if you get an idea and it's a little outside the box, you don't have to have too many people sign it off, you know, sign off on it. You can, 
get it direct directly to an audience. Um, and it's just that we, we, that whole show had been such a like planning for every contingency in the future. It was like, this is what we do in season one. This is what we do in season two. This is what we do in season three. And the contracts, you know, spec, you know, mapping like, you know, years and years ahead of time of that, you know, if the show runs its course and they decide to do a reboot, like who's going to be the approval process. And the whole time I was thinking to myself, like, this is really counting a lot of chickens before they've hatched. Right. Um, and so I just, re I just was thinking like, I want to get something out there. I want to get it to an audience. Um, and I thought about a lot of um, comics that had inspired me. Um, and you know, I thought of say like uh, the death of Captain Marvel and whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. And these are very, like, these are premium one shots basically, right? You know, it was Marvel graphic novel, um, death of, uh, sorry, the, the whatever happened to the man of tomorrow is like a two part story. It's just, there's, there's something to that kind of poetic focus that I think, were, I, you know, really resonated with me was that, you know, it's just a very bittersweet uh, character study. Um, so we really wanted to capture that. Um, and I'd actually, I'd done a story, I've done a few stories for Heavy Metal Magazine and I'd, I'd done one for their, uh, their comedy um, special, which is called Softwood, if you, uh, you know, no pun intended, right? Um, <laughs> And um, what I had found from we I'd done a story in that that was also was a similar format to this where it was kind of a mockumentary. Um, it was because we only got six pages. And I think that when you have I'd say Andy is Andy Zenon is a little bit of a mockumentary format. It's not quite the same thing, but it's an, you know, it's 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 centered around an interview. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I like that approach because what it allows you to do is tell a lot of story in a very natural and approachable way and kind of skip over a lot of stuff. Like you don't really have to linger on too much exposition or in between scenes. It can kind of just be like, you know, the flash bulbs of the most interesting stuff because it's, it's the same way you would in a conversation, right? Like, you know, you're, you're talking to somebody, you don't go through every single detail of uh, how you got from point A to point Z, you, you, you skip a lot. Right. And so I, you know, we were assessing a lot of options where I really just wanted to make this a one shot. I, I really wanted it to be something where people can get a, a, a self-contained story, beginning, middle and end. Um, it's not, you know, it's not an extended prologue. You're, you're going on a journey. It's also something that, and I'll, I'll talk a little more about that later, but, you know, there's other features in it that I wanted to be something that people could really sit with. And, you know, there's more details that can uh, be revealed than more they reread it. Um, but that, you know, the interview format was really key to, to getting that across, because if it had been like a very linear story where we start and it's, you know, you're, you're going through it like year by year, maybe in, in, in that order without kind of jumping around or skipping things. I don't know if we've been able to do that in a, a, a fulfilling way, um, just in a one shot. So that was a very, you know, I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that because that was a very um, deliberate um, creative decision. Yeah, and I, I thought it worked very well because the other thing that it did, you know, in terms of us hitting the highlights, a couple things, right? As Andy's telling his story, we know what's what Im the important moments were to Andy because those are the ones he tells us. Right. And it also there's also so much context in the way that he's relating the story. We know what matters to him. We get a sense of his personality and you know, the emotion that he's feeling without it being overt, you know, we know he's kind of 
he's down on himself because he was on top of the world and now he's not. And again, it's that relatability. Yeah, you know, I I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, that they say the unreliable narrator or the, you know, the the subjective um, eye or, you know, uh, on the story. And I think that maybe that focus allows, um, because actually this was a lesson that I had a lot from like development was, um, I think that, um, because I'd done like some consulting too on on animated um, like adaptations, was this that I, I think that a lot of times when people want to tell a story that introduces you to a world and, and has, you know, feels big and feels like it has a huge cast of characters, your eyes can get bigger than your stomach and you lose focus. And it's just like, it, it kind of very quickly becomes a lot of characters just sort of elbowing in and jockeying for attention. Right. And, and no one really gets, um, no one really feels fully developed. The audience doesn't really feel like they get to know them that well. Um, just by simple virtue of space, you know, and I, and I think like, especially in comics, like I've heard the aphorism, it's just like space is the enemy um, mm-hmm. because you're, you're constantly trying to find ways to tell things more succinctly um, and, and, you know, and, and really just kind of say more with less. So I thought that if it, if it was very just focused on Andy, Andy's personality, his, his feelings about himself, um, his view of his life. Um, I, I found that was really the, the, that's rung true to me. Like that was, the, that was the right approach. Yeah. And then, like you said, uh, hearing from, from, you know, former fans of Ben 10 with this reboot thing, how it all circles back to being sort of meta, you know, that we've all, we all at times age out of things, yeah. you know, it's hard to go back. We have nostalgia for them. And sometimes that's the best part is looking back with the nostalgia. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I see really all sides of, of, I wouldn't say the argument per se, you know, or like just say argument for lack of better word, but, um, you know, um, I think that there are, there's been a lot of success for superhero brands where they found ways to age up with the audience. And there's always this tension of, well, we want to hold on to that audience, but we also still want to get new readers, um, You know, I remember when Ultimate Spider-Man started and you had like two versions of Spider-Man running concurrently. And I liked both um, at the same time, Um, you know, and I there is a degree of meta to it. I was very careful that I didn't want to get too carried away with it being, um, you know, what I always like was saying to everybody is I want to make this something that it feels like there's been 500 issues behind it. But it's there hasn't, you know, it's it's very accessible and self-contained. Um, you don't, no one feels like they have to do their homework ahead of time. And, you know, part of the inspiration from that too, was a lot of the comics that I've, I've was really inspired by had kind of taken a more meta approach to certain archetypes of certain types of characters, like say, you know, Alan Moore doing Miracle Man or Watchmen, um, Astro City was another big influence on this, um, that, you know, you have, uh, you know, a lot, and especially for the fact that they had, um, you know, Kurt Busiek was, you know, he's, he's a big inspiration to me. And the fact that he was able to tell, like some of my favorite stories in that series were just one-offs. Yep. Like he was, it was astounding how much pathos he was able to uh, achieve. I mean, I think even like one of the real standouts was, was even half an issue. It was the one about, you know, the guy remembering his, uh, his wife who had, faded from existence because of some crossover event and he was still not over her and he's haunted by the ghost of her. Um, I really liked the one that was about, um, weirdly enough, it wasn't like specifically superheroes, but there was one about a cartoon character coming to life who 
it's kind of like the story's over and it's like he's he has to just adjust to being a cartoon character in the real world and you know how do you live day to day um those were things that i i just found really fascinating and what i'd also you know um you know in a previous life i i'd, I'd actually uh managed the an anime magazine and what i kind of noticed about that from um looking at a lot of shows there were it seemed like almost every genre has that phase you know you wouldn't you wouldn't think of say like um power rangers or super sentai having a meta phase but there are you know there are some shows like that um and i i'd run into there was another conversation i had one time that i, I just thought was very arbitrary where there was a really good show that i watched called madoka magica that was almost like uh, you know it was a deconstruction of sailor moon right mm -hmm. and it was it was it was the, you know it's very it's there's a lot of analogs to it and it's finding a lot of uh deeper implications to things and i told that to a friend at, at artist alley one time and he was just completely befuddled by it it's like that's a kid's thing why would people want to read that i'm like <laughs> or why would they why would they want to watch that i'm like hasn't it been like 30 years since dark knight returns and, and watchmen like there's an entire industry of like yeah. you know like taking children's characters and finding like more, you know, um, mature uh, implications with that. So, you know, it, it, I think that was, a, a, there, there was definitely an appeal to, I, a lot of the shows that I worked on, I, I, I think that they, it's interesting when you, when you talk to people about what their definitions of superheroes are, because, a lot, you know, it's like you have like the capes and tights variety, um, but then you have, you know, would you consider G.I. Joe a superhero, show, uh, you know, series? I would. Um, um, sometimes the lines, be, you know, the, the definitions get a little fuzzy. I think like, say, Ben 10, Max Steele, um, Nikos worked. Um, I, and by the way, my, my fantastic illustrator, uh, Nikos Kautzis, um, he worked on a reboot of Stretch Armstrong as well. And it's like, you know, you look at them and they're not necessarily wearing capes and, you know, and tights and pirate boots. But, you know, they do have, you know, they might be wearing like, you know, cargo pants and a t-shirt or like kind of a more, you know, mech outfit, like a, is almost like a, like a frogman outfit for Max Steel. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a kind of a different kind of superhero, but it's still, I would, I kind of would put in that lineage. So I was thinking like, well, I don't know if anybody's done a more grown up take on this generation of characters yet. Um, maybe I'll be the one to do it. Yeah. Well, I, I think you nailed it. And I think it does, it does work. And uh, it, you know, part of it being like we've talked about the fact that Andy does learn, he does grow, you know, and it, it, it feels, uh, again, it feels relatable uh, and not, not, not to age us too much, but um, we talk about ultimate Spider-Man, you know, and kind of the reboot, the modernization of that, you know, that that's 21 years old now, which is oh, don't insane. Tell me that. <laughs> which is insane to think about, right? Oh, ultimate Spider-Man came out in the, uh, yeah. Uh, oh September, wow! September two thousand. So, uh, wow! But you did <laughs> uh, you did mention your uh, your artistic artistic partner on uh, yes. Remember Annie Xenon. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about uh, working with him? How he got involved with the project? Uh, did you already know uh, what the character designs were going to look like, or uh, was uh, was he the one that came up with the idea of what these characters were going to look like? Uh, give us some insight into into how the uh, creative process worked between you and uh, Nikos. Uh, you know, Nikos had worked on a, a friend, a really good friend of ours, um, GJ Kirkbride. He, they'd worked together on a series called Aaron Boys. And um, more or less, like I just asked, like I, I, I said to DJ, like, I think his art's fantastic. Could you introduce me to him? Um, 
we talked about doing a number of projects over the years. Um, we were actually pitching a, a longer series, which I think we'll be doing next after this, but you know, the pandemic hit and it was just like, there was a, just a lot of disruption and mm -hmm. we were just trying to readjust the plan for that. We'd already done a lot of work on it, but we, you know, again, like there's, there was a lot of consideration into doing this as a one shot, you know, and it was just because I really just, I really wanted to get it directly to um, readers and not go through, you know, not go through a publisher, you know, Zoop's been fantastic about bringing it straight to, to readers that way. Um, and, you know, I pitched the idea to Nikos, he was really game for it. Um, I can be a bit obsessive sometimes about the design. Um, I, I edited, I, I, I didn't credit myself. I mean, I'm, I basically edited the project. Like I was supervising everybody and gotcha. we had a lot of like clear ideas about what I wanted to do. Um, I did some sketches of most of the characters and Nikos was a good sport of uh, working with me on that. Uh, you know, there's always kind of that tug of war with people creatively. Um, I, um, he did some really fantastic designs for our other series. So I think I'll, I'll be giving him more free reign, but I think I was with the design of the character specifically, it goes back to what I was saying before, where I really was adamant about like these needs, the, the outfits need to look more modern, you know, like they need to look more like, you know, what, what you're seeing in uh, either like current superhero movies or shows where it looks more like, a, you know, like a tracksuit or a, um, you know, it looks like a, it, it looks a little more practical than someone in skin tight, you know, a leotard. Um, and I think communicating that was a little tricky. So I, I wound up doing the designs myself. I mean, and he took them, you know, light years beyond where, where I had them. Like it's, it's very much like a collaboration and he just, he took the baton and he, he, he ran the marathon with them. Um, but he's been fantastic to work with. Um, I think we both share an attention to detail that I, I hope comes through in the book that, um, you know, because we were, you know, I'm editing the thing, like we, he'd get in, he was very receptive to, um, you know, he would give me thumbnails. I would give notes about the thumbnails. Um, we were making decisions about whether we were going to lengthen the story or not at certain points. Um, you know, and then I would get the inks from him and, you know, advise them about, okay, let's, let's kind of hit consistency. And actually that was something that, um, I, I want to say too that he was great about, and also our colorist uh, Ava De La Cruz, who did some fantastic work, was was great about as well. Um, and I, I especially appreciate having her involved because she had to work out on, on the pages out of order, which wasn't ideal. Mm -hmm. um, but we really tried to infuse because we're jumping around in different eras, and there's different, you know, you're you're hopping around. Um, Sometimes it's Andy's talking directly to the, the readers. Sometimes it's, it's a scene from his past. Sometimes it's a mix of the two. Uh, it was really paramount to just make sure we got everything very stylistically consistent. So if you notice when you go over it, there's a very particular look to the flashbacks mm -hmm. that immediately differentiates it from um, the present scenes. It, it looks almost more like a Polaroid, which was very intentional. Um, and they, they totally got that. Actually, that was even Nikos's idea. Like I, I was saying, I, I couldn't quite articulate how I wanted to separate the flashback scenes, but he, that would, you know, rounding out the corners of, of the panels was yep. uh, his idea. Um, also just like some of the palette choices were suggestions that he went, you know, he put to Ava and then she, she ran with it and also brought in different textures um, for those specific panels as well. And that was also, that was very important to, um, make this as clear and coherent an experience as possible because we were very you know I, I, again like I, like i was saying before 
I think there's a very easy pitfall when you want to introduce a world where it just it, it gets overwhelming to the reader and they don't really know, you know, they can't really orient themselves and they don't know what's more important than the other thing. And so we were there were a lot of clear decisions about that. Um, Ava actually too, when we, we you know, in, in the companion piece that's at the end of the book, she was really instrumental as well to maintaining a level of consistency there that I think um, just really uh, sealed the deal. It was, um, I, I was really impressed with the work that she did on that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, because yeah, like, like Tom said, there is this, this text piece in the back that is, um, it so much enriches the story, you know, it's, it's almost like news coverage. If, if Andy Zenon did really exist and was such a uh, well-known figure, you know, around the world as this hero uh, and then disappeared, of course there would be magazine articles and people would be speculating. And you even name drop some, <laughs> some people like Tony Guerrero. That was awesome. That. Oh, Tony, you know, Tony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, just, I don't know him real well, but you know, co as comics press, we often cross paths. Um, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah I, I, Tony's, I, Tony's an old friend. Yeah. I saw that his name in there and I'd be I'm like, Oh, G man from heck. Cool. Tony's in there. So yeah. So that was great. So everybody, uh, this is one of those things where it's, it's a project you back, you can read the main story like a tradition, traditional comic, but then so much more value because you got another hour's worth of material uh, there in the back. So was that a lot of fun to, uh, to kind of write these faux, uh, magazine articles kind of enriching, uh, the story. It was a lot of fun. And it was a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I have a bad habit sometimes of biting off more than I could chew. And I think like by the end, it, it kind of gets in there, but I think, um, I just always love, um, those sort of back matter pieces, like, mm -hmm. you know, in Watchmen, there's uh, the excerpts of uh, Under the Hood, you know, the biography that's right. there. And then uh, especially like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, there was like the, you know, the New Traveler's Almanac, which was like this like uh, trap, you know, it was like a vacation guide to all the fictional countries and the history of adventure. Um, and I just really like that. Um, I, I think it was a good way to compliment it. I mean, the thing about it was, I, I think that, I, again, I, I thought about like a lot of pitfalls that I think run into um, similar projects. And one of them was, is that I really didn't want this to feel like, I, what I wanted it to be is that hopefully everybody, it's very easy to continue it and people will be wanting more. But I also wanted to make it such that if it's, if this is it, if, if people, you know, if, if we just do this one shot, I want it to be a satisfying, fulfilling experience for everybody. And um, I also wanted to be something that people will, like you said, there's an extra hour of entertainment there. You can really, um, you know, sink into it and, and, and find more layers with that. Um, it was, the idea with that too, is just that it's like, I had a lot of ideas. It was, it's the story kind of grew in the telling and I, you know, it was initially just Andy, but then I had the ideas for the other adventurers in his world, like the troubleshooters and base jump as right. uh, fantastic. And I thought it'd be interesting to sort of explore it in like, you know, for, and it's really for the similar reasons as, as I mentioned before about doing it as an interview is that if you do it kind of as a faux magazine article, you can cover a lot of ground. Mm -hmm. um, like there's effectively, you know, the first purpose, and actually just to, to, to properly introduce it to the listeners, it's just the, the bonus of it is, is it's called like, we remember Andy Zenon. And it's an article written where the world thinks that Andy's either vanished or dead. And it's a, a, a journalist, another journalist is actually investigating, uh, you know, looking at old tapes of Andy's adventures and then also talking to other heroes who knew him when and, and 
interviewing them and getting their varying uh, tastes for him and, you know, their own ideas about what might have happened to him. So um, it features uh, 10 guest artists on, uh, they get credited as photographers and are, are sort of like coy uh, conceit there. Um, but it, you'll see there's, a, I got some really fantastic artists from all over the globe. There's a, uh, Turkey, uh, Bosnia, Australia, Malaysia. Um, it was a real international operation. Um, and it was really cool to get all their in, uh, interpretations of the characters as well. Um, and we really just, I wanted to give the impression again that there had just been a really, you know, you're getting like in the same way that say like, you know, um, whatever happened in the man of tomorrow, it's, it's like the culmination of, you know, hundreds of Superman stories. I wanted it to feel like there had been lots of uh, Andy Xenon adventures prior to this, but we didn't necessarily, um, it's, you know, it's more of a survey of it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think what, what I also, uh, something I want to stress about it too, because this is something again, that I, I learned a bit from development is that as, as, at, you know, I, is that world building is, can be fun, but I also think that people get, you know, they, they sort of mistake what works about world building um, in, insofar as like, I don't know if the audience like cares as much as if, if you're laying out really rote details about a world or the, you know, who's in it, if it's not tied to personality and emotion and right. character. So I was very, um, it was very important for me that when you read it, the journalist is an active character in the search and she has what you'll find, you know, there's a twist at the end. You find out that she has very personal reasons for wanting to find out what happened to Andy and, you know, to remember him. Um, it's also that every, you know, there's, there's almost like effectively like say nine or 10 vignettes uh, in the story where you have in about like a page or two, like an adventure of Andy Xenon and each one, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an emotional or, or humorous uh, uh, um, situation. And then there's, you know, there's also the profiles of the other adventurers in his world where it's like kind of a vignette. It's like their little, each one kind of has their own uh, tragic backstory themselves. It's, it's like, you know, you tell it in about a page or two and it's, we get like a nice hint of that. And I just always, I kept pushing for it was just like, try to like make this feel real and, and also make it feel emotionally authentic. And what I'm really um, hoping that what readers will find when, when they read it is that when you go, I, I, I tried to make them like companion pieces in the sense that you can read the comic by itself and not feel like anything's missing. Um, but then if you, read the, if you read the article, it really deepens your understanding of what you just read. Yeah. Because, um, you know, there's certain arguments that, that sort of get resolved um, in the, the backup, or maybe there's hints of, um, you know, ghosts or skeletons in someone's closet that we don't know about until, you know, you read the article and find out, oh, this is why this character gave this warning or, um, you know, they were concerned about this. Um, and it was very much like I wanted it to kind of keep evolving your sense of the story. So it was more rewarding and not just like, uh, you know, a role playing game guy that just says this is, you know, the rules and the stats of, <laughs> of our world. Yeah, and the other thing that I really appreciated was that you put did put it at the end because, uh, you know, I, I guess at some point, you know, and I've seen other people that do, they'll intersperse them throughout to add context as you're reading the story. Mm. I think it was really important to to see Andy's full journey. And again, it's it very much the ending is feels very much like a beginning, like you said earlier. Uh, but then it then we take a step back and read the magazine articles, and it it gives more context knowing where Andy is at the end of the story. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that, um, again, I, I've worked in multimedia and you, you really start to like zero in on like, okay, what, what works in a specific medium versus the next, like what works for TV versus comics um, versus feature films. And I think that um, to my mind, like the comics that I've, I've really responded to the most have, I would, I, I want to specify like not aren't complicated, but have a degree of complexity to them. So it's something that you can read it once and you can have a layer of meaning to it. And then if you go back, there might be certain details um, either in like the dialogue or in the scenery or in a, in a feature like that, that you kind of just keep going a layer deeper into what you just read. Um, and to my mind, that was like some of the best like one shots, like, you know, what a uh, 30 year old spoiler is like, on, you know, what happened to the man at, uh, tomorrow, but it's like, you know, the whole time, you you think that Superman's dead, and you think that Lois is has remarried, and then by the end you find out that oh wait oh wait the whole time yeah it, it was you know Jordan Elliott my <laughs> wait, oh how did I not see that like right um and that was something you know I, I really did want to capture with this was something that I you know especially because I think I wanted I really wanted it to be something that when people get it it's just it's I'll I'll, I'll harp on that again and again like you know you read it and I want people to reread it and you know find more to enjoy each time. Yeah, so uh I definitely recommend it everybody go check it out. There's a link in the show notes to the campaign page on Zoop. There's about uh as your this is being released, uh there's about 21 days left. Uh you can go and check it out. Uh, Tom, do you want to let uh, the listeners know what some of the tiers are, what some of the rewards are that they can get over there? Oh, yeah. Um, so we've had uh, I, I, we had some fun with the naming of these. Um, so there's the uh, there's a cyber edition, which is just that's the digital version um, for those who prefer to read digital. Um, there's the super edition, which is uh, got Nikos did a cover of that. And that's the print uh, version. Um, then we have the mega edition which is uh, features a variant cover by uh, Brent Schoonover, which I was uh, really um, so glad to have had involved. Um, there is a retailer um, exclusive version that's called the Ultra Edition that's by, uh, has a guest cover by Freddie E. Williams, the uh, uh, second um, that it was, he was, and working with both of them, by the way, too, that was, I, you know, I, I had so much fun, like each artist that was involved, like brought something um, unique to the table. And it was it was just so wonderful to see their interpretations of these characters that had been just in my head only a few months prior. Um, and, you know, we have the uh, people can buy original art. Um, it's done digitally. So we're, they're doing a uh, there'll be a certificate of authenticity. That it's just it'll be printed once will we'll be printed on nice paper. And so um it's it's still effectively like the original art from it we're um you know we're we're offering a few um you know nikos can do portfolio reviews he's also uh offering commissions if you want to do uh you know get an original uh, get a character drawn by him um whether it's a bust or a full figure um i've also in my of the many hats that i've worn in my life i've also uh you know taught uh screenwriting at uh place like the Scriptwriters Network and uh, UCLA Extension. So I'm, I'm offering um, a class where I'll be uh, teaching writing um, for those who uh, maybe want to pick my brain or learn about my methods there. Um, and then we're, 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 we're you know, what's, what's nice about Zoop too is we do have a degree of flexibility as well that if, if there winds up being, uh, you know, when this airs, if there winds up being a, a response that people want certain things, I mean, you know, with, with interaction with the fans, we may be, you know, offering them. Um, I've 
that's one of the things that's been beneficial about dealing with uh, Zoop as opposed to other crowdfunding platforms is that I'm working directly with um, the people running uh, the company. So there's a lot more degree of a customization and, and uh, you know, able to kind of fine tune it on a daily basis. Um, so we're going to find out. I mean, I think anytime you put a, a piece of work out there, you're never, you, you're never sure how it's going to be received or what people are going to respond to. So um, we're going to find out like if, 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 if certain rewards uh, people respond to more than others, we may, you know, offer different rewards or, you know, um, more of the same type. Um, but that'll, you know, uh, oh, and I'll also mention too that anybody who buys a copy, um, you'll get a copy of my scripts. Um, and then there's also be a, an artist edition as digital rewards that um, you get to see the entire book in uh, just Nikos's line art. Um, you know, because I, I think that um, for the audience that when when you're going to crowdfunding, I think there's a, there's a more of a curiosity about the, you know, how it was made. Um, so we've tried to make that as um, uh, as involved and interesting as possible. Um, my, my scripts tend to be a, a lot more detailed than others. So I, I think that's also going to, that might be almost as long as, uh, you know, my uh, longer experience in reading the, the comic or in, in the backup feature as well. Um, but I'm hoping people will enjoy it. So. Man, I love getting script. I love getting scripts and then seeing the line art, especially if uh, things change from, you know, when Nikos first did, did a page versus what actually got printed. All that is, I find that so interesting and fascinating. Uh, yeah, and I know yeah. we have a, we have so many listeners that are aspiring uh, comic creators, so I know they love that stuff as well. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, we were we were trying to make those sorts of rewards available. You know, um, you know, the one end is that anybody who buys it's going to get, um, you know, those two documents. If you want to go a little further into like the making of, we have that as a that's a higher end tier. Um, you know, with the class and the portfolio review. Um, you know, I think that, uh, it was, you know, it's funny because <laughs> you, you don't really become like self-aware about your own processes until you're in a situation like this, where it's like, oh, wow, we've done like four drafts of this. And I have to actually go back through it and, and remind yeah. myself of like, oh, wait, that was the original idea right. for this scene. Or that was, that was like the, you know, the original art. Um, I think at least like one benefit of doing it digitally is that you don't have like the Cheeto dust stain that you <laughs> yeah. sometimes see on, on original art, which I, I, you know, which is really more common than you would think. Like yep. I, you know, like I've talked to a friend who collects those and you sort of, if you always, if you know to look for it, you're like, Oh wait, yeah, there's, there's the thumbprint. Yep. It's an orange. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Uh, well, it's been great talking to you, Tom. Uh, I look forward to uh, getting a physical copy of the book in my hands. Uh, best of luck with the project. Like I said, everybody, at the time of uh, airing, uh, there's about three weeks left. Uh, at the time of recording this, uh, obviously, there's more than that, and it's about 25% of the way there so far. So I'm sure by the time this airs, it'll be probably up past a, a third, probably probably close to a half by then. Uh, but if people want to follow along with your, uh, with your work, Tom, and know when you have uh, other things coming out or uh, engage with you and, and ask questions about this project, where's the best place online to, uh, to find you? Actually, you know, I have a website, but I recently started a newsletter just for that. Um, it's called the the Chuck Chronicles, um, and uh, if you just, I, I don't think any, it's just it's spelled the same way that you spell my name, so it's like uh, C H U K, not C H U C K. Um, if you just look that up, um, it'll be easy to find online. And um, yeah, I've I found from doing that that I it, it's 
that that works kind of better for me, I think, than like a lot of like little um, social media updates. Like I still do. Like I'm on Twitter and, and what have you. But I think that's the best place to, you know, and, and kind of for the same theme as what I'm talking about with the book itself. It just it allows me to kind of dive deeper into what I'm doing and what I'm reading and um, a little bit of shop talk as well. Um, so that's really if you sign up for that, I, I'm, you know, I, I updated about like about every two to three weeks, um, <laughs> depending on how busy I am. Um, but that's uh, yeah, that's that's the place I'd point everybody to the the Chuck Chronicles. Gotcha. And I'll uh, I'll track down the uh, link for that, everybody. It'll be in the show notes. So if you're having trouble finding it, you can go click there. Uh, and again, uh, I'll remind everybody, like I always do on the uh, the creator owned spotlights that we do. Uh, even if this doesn't sound like it's for you or, or maybe you love it and you want to join the campaign, but you just don't have the means right now. The best way you can help out Tom and Nikos is uh, to share it, you know, other than backing it yourself is to share it on social media, put it out there. Let's get as many eyes on this thing as we can. So anybody that is interested and does want to check it out, gets a chance to see it. So uh, oh, everything's again, appreciated. Yeah. Every, every bit of, uh, every bit of support like that is uh, really means a lot to us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you sharing it on social media is certainly not going to, make fewer people (laughs) the more eyes we get on it the better it doesn't go the other way around the more i you know i i I always like whenever we we kind of make the 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 petitions for that it kind of makes me think of like peter pan where it's like all the claps you know it's uh you know to revive uh tinkerbell you know it's like just everybody everybody out there just just clap please clap Yep. hundred percent. So uh, again, Tom, uh, been great chatting with you. Uh, best of luck with the project and uh, here's some more uh, Andy Zenon in the future. Thank you so much. And uh, for you listeners, we want to thank you for your support as always. We really appreciate you joining us and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the comic source podcast on Spotify, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Google play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.